Good morning, Westgate. How's everyone doing? Let's stand and worship together because he is worthy to be praised. Amen. Yes. Lifted high, Jesus now be glorified. The 
Welcome to Westgate Chapel. My name is Marlena. I'm the director of kids ministry here at Westgate. Um, we're so glad that all of you are here. Oh, thank you. Um, we're ex I know we love kids here. Just in case you didn't know, we love kids ministry here. Um, we're so glad that all of you are here. If you're a visitor with us, you can look in front of you in the pew and there's a card that says connect. And if you're ready to connect, what we would love for you to do is to fill that card out and you can take it out these doors right out here and there's our guest services center and you can go out there and they can answer any questions you might have about Westgate. Uh, if you wanna serve in kids ministry, they certainly can help you figure that out. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're glad you're here. And if you have a prayer request, we'd also love for you to write that on that Connect card. Our staff takes time every week to lift those up um, to God for you. So make sure that you fill that out. And again, we're so excited you're here. If you didn't get the sermon notes, make sure you grab those out at the table. Or you can pull out our handy-dandy Westgate Chapel app, and you can find it there. So again, lots going on with Westgate and if you want to find out more, check out the app, check out our website, and also take a look at this short video. Good morning and welcome to Westgate Chapel. My name is Dan and I'm the middle school pastor here at Westgate. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. Here are a few of the important things we want to highlight for you this week. Grab a rake, grab some gloves, and join us for Campus Care Day on November 11th, 9 a.m. to noon. We'll spruce up the area around the facility with basic raking of leaves, trimming trees, and weeding. Our entire Westgate family is invited, and this is a kid-friendly event. There are simple projects for all who attend. In just a few hours, we can beautify our campus and get it ready for the winter season to come. If you have any questions, email Pastor Randy at randyf at westgatechapel.org. The annual Thanksgiving dinner with our international friends is just around the corner, and it's always one of the most exciting events of the year. Mark your calendars for Sunday, November 19th, from 5 to 8 p.m. As part of our church's mission to reach our neighbors and the nations, we're thrilled to welcome those who've come to Toledo to study, teach at the University of Toledo, or settle here as refugees. We have teamed up with West Blood, Global Opportunities, and Water for Ishmael to give these international guests a taste of a traditional American Thanksgiving dinner, share some holiday history, and most importantly, share what we are most thankful for, Jesus. Here's how you can get involved. Become a table host. You'll spend quality time with our dinner guests by hosting a table for eight to 10 people. We provide training the Sunday before the event to ensure everyone knows what to bring and, and how to best engage with our guests. Two, contribute to the meal. You can prepare and serve the meal or donate pies or other items to make this event a success. And thirdly, join our event teams. We need help with various aspects of the event, including drivers, greeters, games, activities, and so much more. We invite you to be a part of this fun and meaningful experience. Sign up to serve on the Westgate app or westgatechapel.org slash serve at Thanksgiving. Next week during both services, we're celebrating Baptism Sunday and looking forward to sharing in the joy of those taking their next step in faith. To mark this special occasion, we're asking everyone to write notes of encouragement for those who are being baptized. You'll find baptism jars in the atrium where you can leave your messages. We hope to see you next week for this inspiring Sunday celebration. Thanks again for joining us. It's going to be a great morning of worshiping together. Enjoy the service. Thanks, Dan. 
Uh, today we get to recognize and welcome, these are several of the 18 people who got to go through our Westgate 101 class together, and so I was privileged to help teach that class. And um, these individuals, they went through four weeks where we talked about our church's history, what the CMA is all about, our statement of faith, basically what we believe, and what is church membership. What did we do it? What is it for? Um, some of you might ask that same question, so I encourage you uh, to listen to this. And also, when the next time Westgate 101 um, comes around, to check that out. So part of what we do in that membership clap is basically it's a formal, we're understanding that church membership is a formal relationship between a Christ follower and the church body. The church is saying to the member that we recognize you as a disciple of Jesus and we're committing to discipling you and helping share in your life as you follow Christ. The member is saying to the church, I recognize you as a faithful gospel declaring church and I'm committing to growing as a disciple and partnering with you as a member of the church. He's got what's next. No. Um, so why, why membership? What does it also allow to have happen? Uh, our members here in, at Westgate, um, you have a, a voice. Uh, specifically, when we have uh, meetings, annual meetings, being a member allows you to have a voting, a voting, voting role, a voting position for election of leaders, uh, elders, and of approving or not approving changes of, of bylaws and, and um, a second piece is to be a member, if you want to like lead a life group, lead a Bible study, have some form of being a, a teaching uh, uh, role here at Westgate, like is a- to go through membership. Because part of that membership is being aware that we're on the same page theologically, we're believing the same thing, and are on page with the, the mission and vision here at Westgate Chapel. Um, so I want to give an opportunity for these folks to introduce themselves. But first, we have a few that aren't here today, can't be here. Um, Don't worry, when we get to the part about uh, saying the agreement, all of them have already been uh, interviewed by elders, and this is an opportunity for you to get to see their faces. But we have some folks that can't be here uh, this morning. Tammy Mercer, Cameron and Larissa Beadle, Ali Kerfis, Inessi and Keisha Momo, Marlene and Mike Cox, and Ross Wenzinger are, I think, do we have Claire as well? Oh, Claire is here, great. Claire's here. Um, So everyone else, how about you share with us your name and then how long you've been a part of uh, Westgate Chapel? Well, I'm Tristan Chandler. I've been attending my whole life, and this is my wife, Brianna. And I've been here for about six years. I'm Harry Smith, and my wife, Dan, went through the class in the spring as a member, and we've been attending for about two years. Hi, we're the Corbett's. I'm Monica. I've been coming for about seven years. I'm Brian Corbett. I've been attending for about four years. You want to say hi? <laughs> okay. Say, say your name. I'm Evelyn. Okay. I'm Zachary Kilgore, and this is my wife, Sam. Uh, we've been attending for just under a year. My name is Claire Carrier, and I've been here for about a year and a half. My name is Josh Niedercourt, and I've been attending here about 15 years. 
Um, so again, we love kids here at Westgate, so we love seeing that. So thank you for being so kind to them. I appreciate that. So the next thing we're going to do is I'm actually going to read the corporate membership agreement, which sounds super official, but really we're just going to tell you what you're actually agreeing to when you become a member. And at the end, you guys, if you agree, which we hope that they all do, you're going to say, I will. So because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and because your expressed desire to be members of Westgate Chapel, will you commit yourself to serve Christ faithfully as a member of this church family? Will you commit yourself to our vision of being a Jesus-centered community that is known for intentionally sharing God's love with our neighbors and the nations? Will you personally seek to grow in your own relationship with the Lord through the study of God's word and through prayer? Will you commit to actively engage with other members of this church family through regular church attendance and by pursuing close-knit community where you are growing alongside others? Will you commit to utilizing your God-given time, talents, and treasure for the purpose of serving the Lord in our church, in our community, and his worldwide mission to reach the lost? Will you take responsibility for the health and forward movement of our church family? And will you submit yourself to the pastors and elders of this church whom God has given authority to serve as overseers and shepherds? If you will commit yourselves to these things, please say, I will. Excellent. That's what we need, right? From the very beginning. Way to go, guys. Okay, we're going to pray over, um, over these new members. God, we just thank you so much uh, for today. We thank you that we get to come here and worship you as one body. And as we um, are excited to extend membership to these friends up here, Lord, we just ask that you would help them to take seriously what it means to be a member, that they are committing to not just come and to sit and to listen, but Lord, to continue to grow, to serve where they can, and to take seriously the call that you have placed on every single one of our lives, which is to honor you and to push forward what you are doing in this world. And Lord, for those that are sitting out in the congregation that are already members and are already a part of this body, Lord, that they would take seriously the commitment to give that back to them, to encourage them, to um, befriend them. And Lord, that we would be a body who cares deeply for one another. We praise you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, if you could uh, find somebody, and some of you may be really sad that this morning was freezing, and some of you may be really happy. So I want you to find somebody, tell them whether you're loving the cold weather or whether you wanted to stay under your blankets this morning and not be here today. So find a friend, tell them what you think. seeing us all talk and fellowship with one another. 
As we continue in our worship today, I just want to invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment. God, we just sing about centering our eyes, centering our lives on you. Lord, main in this moment, Lord, I pray that we would do that. God, we would continue to do that. Maybe, maybe some, some here didn't come with that expectation. Maybe some came begrudgingly or maybe things that were distracting, things that are still distracting. But God, we know you move in the midst of all of that. We see what's going on around the world today, and we know you are moving. We know you are at work. So I know even in this moment now, God, I know you are wanting to work in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. God, you've shown us time and time again how much you love us. And so, God, I pray in this moment now as we continue to worship and declare your love, declare your greatness, we would do so with expectation of you changing us, Lord. We love you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Come on, no! 
the full of God. Grace that brought me to the fold of God. Yeah. Amen. He is worthy.
into a time of, of offering and I remember of the old hymn growing up in church where we sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. And it's just an opportunity for us to say thank you, God. An opportunity to uh, stewardship what he's given and to um, offer back. So as we pray, then um, Lord God, uh, everything that we have comes from your hands. God, we want to hold that lightly and in thanksgiving, give it uh, back, back to you. God, may you take what we uh, do today and um, what we say, what we speak, what we hear. God, may we do it for your glory. Um, in your name, amen. You can go ahead, if you're in the center aisles, go ahead and pass those uh, buckets to the outside and our ushers will uh, collect those for us this morning. Good morning. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Adam. If we haven't met yet, I work here and get to serve on staff. Um, uh, one of the staff members and I love Jesus and I love, I love the word of God and get to share uh, with you this morning um, out, of, out of the word as uh, we talk about, uh, I think, a, a challenging, difficult topic. Um, but first, one of the places that we get into the Word each each week is our life group. And um, this past week, we got together on Monday night, and in life group, we kind of did an icebreaker fun uh, activity called uh, Telestrations or Teledraw. It's a, a new updated version of the game Telephone, if you've ever played Telephone before. Um, and I wanted to share with you some of our drawings that uh, we had from Monday night. And in, in Telestrations, you have uh, a phrase. Someone writes down on a piece of paper a phrase or a word, and then you pass that stack of paper to the next person, and they see that phrase, and they try and draw a picture the best they can. And then the third person then sees that picture, then has to write, because they don't know the original phrase, and write what they think. And it goes all the way around the circle. Now, here, here's one that made it all the way around, unchanged. What do you think this says? I love pumpkin pie. All right, that made it all the way around. Uh, our group, we did really well. Um, then we had this one. Yeah, you guys can play too. This is great. Raining cats and dogs, and this made it all the way around. You know, the next person writes, raining cats and dogs, then they draw cats and dogs. Apparently, we can all draw cats and dogs and rain uh, pretty well. Um, this other one, we don't have a picture for it, and you understand why. Um, the person wrote on the card, and they filled the whole card with, with words and in this phrase, and then I had to be the first person to draw this out. And this is what it was. I, I picked up the paper, I saw, and it said, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. A peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, where's the peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked? And I think I, I tried to draw a guy playing a pipe, and then there was a peppers and a basket to collect them in, and that's the best I could do. Um, and around and around the circle it went until... It, 
by the end, it was uh, someone singing in a park by a stream. So that one didn't uh, make it all the way uh, around around the, the circle. Um, last week, we began a series called Uprooted. And uh, in Uprooted, our kind of one of our, our goals, this kind of first blank here says, in this series, we are seeking to uproot what hinders growing roots into Jesus. Back in September, we re- reminded all of us about a five-year vision that we are in about trying to sink our roots into Jesus and grow deeper into Jesus. And this is one of our desires. And I think whether it's a five-year vision or 500-year vision, our desire is to grow roots into Christ. And this series is also recognizing that as our roots are growing in, they might run into things. That none of us come to Christ without stuff in our past or in our present. And in many ways, this stuff needs to get uprooted to allow space and resources for Christ to grow those roots deeper. Okay? So this is the, the point of, of this series is to uproot what needs to get out and then to allow space for Christ to grow deeper roots into his soil. Last week, Pastor Rob, we talked about uh, spiritual apathy. And today we're talking about idolatry. And idolatry, like, well, we don't have idols. I I, I doubt any of us probably have silver or gold or wooden little carved idols on a mantle or desk or a shelf somewhere in our home that we go home and uh, bow down to and worship and and praise in hopes that we'd get something else in, in return. But idolatry is a has been warned for God's people from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Talks about get rid of idolatry. And so what we recognize today, it might not be those physical uh, uh, little statues, but we do have idols in our lives. A lot of them are rooted in our hearts and in our thoughts and, and maybe what we think, what we do. And I think our enemy, Satan, likes to use these idols to keep us distracted and to prevent us from moving ahead and moving forward in, in God's kingdom. So we're going to talk about uh, I- idolatry. And uh, in the same way, if um, in, in, in our telestrations game, uh, if going around, if nothing was ever corrected, by the time it got to the end, you could have a pretty big deviation. And so kind of in that same way, if we don't deal with the junk that we have and uproot and get out of it, get it out, then we might look around at a year or two or whatever back down the road and like, oh, I've kind of deviated from the path, walked away from the path. So I'd like to share with you our kind of our, our working definition this morning of uh, idolatry. And this is from uh, a godly man, writer, pastor, um, theologian, John Piper. 
He says, an idol is anything in the world that successfully competes with our love for God. An idol is anything in the world that successfully competes. We know we have a lot of things competing, but successfully competes in the world for our love for God. So we're going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 32, and then a little later on, John chapter 2. Um, if Once you open your Bible or open your app, you'll see that Exodus 32 has this title on top of it, says the golden calf. And many of us might be familiar with um, this uh, biblical event, some not, and if wherever you are, that's okay. I wanted to give us a, a run-in, a lead-up to where we are, um, uh, telestration style. Okay, so I've kind of tried to use some drawing skills of mine because um, why not? And to kind of put us in place. So here is uh, the map of, of the world where the Israelites are in Exodus. In Exodus, the second book of the Bible, um, where God's people have been in Egypt for about 400 years. And they're in Egypt for 400 years, and we read that there was a time when the, there was a pharaoh, a, a king in Egypt, that forgot Joseph. And therefore, this pharaoh was growing uh, paranoid at the growing size of the Hebrews or the Israelites, and then wanted to put them into slavery or bondage and put them in the slave labor, making a bunch of bricks, blocks, building things. And the people cried out because of this. God sent them um, Moses to help deliver them out of Egypt. And so Moses is there, and as God sends, he uses a series of plagues, 10 plagues, each plague specifically targeting a lowercase g God, an idol of the Egyptians. And God says he has come to bring judgment upon those gods, those idols, so that they and the people would know him. That's his desire. God wants us, wants them, wants the world to know that he is God. And so he provides, the, the, these plagues happen, and then Moses leads them out. They, they, they cross you know, the, the parting of the Red Sea, and as they go out, they don't go empty-handed. What do they have with them? The Egyptians, hey, go leave, and they take all of their, so they're given gold. It says gold earrings and stuff for the, the, the women, the sons, and the daughters. So they carry this with them. They have uh, a, a source of, of wealth that God basically plans so they have a way to uh, fund what they're going to be doing. So they carry that all with them. And they get to the Sinai Peninsula, and there, this mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And God is present on top of the mountain in a, in a cloud, as often we see in Scripture. God appears in cloud and fire, and, and from out of that, he speaks. And as he speaks, he's telling them, these, these, this is the covenant. This is to be my people. This is what you need to follow. And the people are terrified at God speaking out of the, the mountain. And so they say, can you, here, Moses, why don't you go up to the mountain and you be our representative? 
So Moses goes on up the mountain, and he's there, and then he comes back down, and he gives them through word, like what we would think of like as the Ten Commandments. This is this covenant. This is this, this contract, like a marriage contract between husband and wife in those days. It's now between God, the, the groom, and the bride being the people. So it's like a covenant. And these are the ways you keep the covenant, and the first one is, you know, what's, what's the first commandment? You can hold up your hand. I think we did this before back in January. Just remember, one God. One God. What's the second commandment? Two words. No idols. That's number one. Number two, one God, no idols. All right? That will come into play. So, Moses comes down, he delivers this, and the people, they are excited, and they say, yes, we will do this. We will do everything as you say. They agree, and it says they wholeheartedly, the people said in unison, we will do this. And then God says, come on back up the mountain, Moses. I want to give you a hard copy. So Moses goes Back up, and he's there, what we read, 40 days, 40 nights, and at the end of it, he has two tablets written, and it says at the end of chapter 31, inscribed with the finger of God. Okay? So that Moses is up there with God. All the people down there, they're saying, yes, we're going to obey. We're going to follow this path. We're going to follow this way. And that's where we end chapter 31, beginning in chapter 32. Here we go, okay? Chapter 32, read verses 1 through 10. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. What's one of the idols from Egypt? A calf. It's a symbol of strength. So the Israelites would follow and, and or the Egyptians would follow and praise this. This is where we get our strength. And so suddenly, God's people are, uh, we don't know where Moses is. Oh, let's make a calf. Let's return back. So they made an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people who you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. 
They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people, obstinate, stubborn. Verse 10, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Then in verses 11 through 18, Moses serves as this mediator between the people and the Lord. So God decides not to destroy them. And then verses 19 and 20, Moses comes back down. And when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it, which sounds like a really weird thing to do. But in numbers, when there is a, uh, a spouse suspected of adultery, one would bring to the, to the priest and they would take some dust off the ground, mix it with water and have them drink it. If they got ill, then they were guilty. And so here in this covenant picture, we have the idol being destroyed, ground up, put in water and drink it. And we know that there was death that ensued after that. So what do we learn? I have like four kind of little bullet points in your outline. What do we learn about this? The first is that we have been made to worship something. We have been made to worship something. From the very beginning, we want to be close to what is great. We want to adore, to praise, to honor, to ascribe to something. And when it's not God, our most common default is ourselves or something else. But we are made to worship something. If we're confused, we just look at our world and see the people, athletes, singers, whatever, uh, are, are elevated, and then they're basically worshiped. And we, we want to be close to them because we like being near, as close as we can, to greatness. We want to worship something. We've been made to worship something. That something is the Lord God. That some person. Next is don't worship a false god. This is the first thing that we notice in verse one. That it's they, they think this has been a long time, and I don't understand how people that have been waiting four hundred years can't wait forty days, but they can't. It hasn't been the full forty days yet. Before hey. We don't know about Moses. He could have fallen down. Something could have happened to him. We needed something else. And so the first thought that comes in my mind is they are placing time. When we think of idols as something that successfully competes against our love of God, I think an idol that we can have is time. They need to be efficient. They need to be fast. They need to do everything as efficiently and effectively as we possibly can. I know I can be guilty of this. 
Sometimes I place time as an idol in my life. And maybe I've heard it for many years in which someone's encouraged to spend time with the Lord. And a common response is, I don't know where I'm going to find time for that. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of us really do struggle with making that time to be in the word of God, studying the word of God? Do we make that third or fourth or fifth or tenth on the list? Anything, an idol is anything that competes successfully with the love of God. If it's not time, it could be our own agendas or what we want to get done Verse 4, another thing that a false god I think we worship are things that we make ourselves. I think we can have a tendency to worship creation instead of the creator. We can worship creation instead of the creator. Do you have any possessions that rule a large space within your heart? Anything that, if it goes missing, it actually causes some kind of angst or you get upset or irritated if it's missing. Could that be something that's competing successfully in your love of God in an item and something that's made by hands? Psalm uh, 115, and it's referenced there. You can go look at it later, but it talks about idols and uh, the last verse there, verse 8, then speaks about how we become what we worship. And so we have been made in the image of God, and as we worship God, we become more like the reflection of God out into the world, but we also become more of like whatever else we end up worshiping. An item that I noticed that was absent from my life was on Tuesday, I inadvertently, not intentionally, left my cell phone at home. Anybody ever do that before? You feel yourself doing like this the rest of the day and kind of wondering, what am I missing? Is there a message, a text, or a phone call that I've missed? I wonder at times, is it an idol if the phone is the first thing I look at in the morning? if it's the last thing I look at when I go to bed at night. Anything that is successfully competing with the love of God in my life. Losing your phone or not having your phone, that's called nomophobia. That's a real, real term, nomophobia. And it happens uh, counselors, psychologists talk about the anxiety that it produces because we have become so attached to these devices. Has it become an idol in your life? Something that is made. Don't worship the true God falsely. Don't worship the true God falsely. Verse 5 I think this can, depends on how you read it, could be somewhat funny. Um, at the end of verse 4, they make the idol, Aaron makes the idol, and then all the people start, hey, this is the gods, yay, let's, let's worship. And then all of a sudden in verse 5, he, it says, and Aaron saw this, and then 
made an altar to the Lord in front of it. Later on, part that we didn't read, uh, Moses is asking him about it, and Aaron just says, oh, it's kind of uh, threw the gold in and out popped an, a, a calf. But I think Aaron is here trying to, well, let's still worship God. We're going to make an altar. Tomorrow we're going to have a celebration to the Lord. God still sees it as corrupt because there's still this golden calf. Have you heard of the cultural term, it's new to me, called mashup? Anybody? No one? Okay. Yes, there we go. You can say yes or shake your head or, I agree, I've heard that. Um, I'm aware of, of mashup is when you can have, like, here's a song from this genre and these lyrics, and here's another song from this genre and, and these lyrics and this tune, and then we think, oh, this is really good, and this is really good, and then so we mash them together. And we make a new song, which is just two songs coming together again. But they get mashed up. And you can do this with food. You can do this with movies or plot lines or whatever. But I wonder if we do that with our worship. And have an idol where we mash things in our own hearts. Something from the world over here. And I combine it with some truth of scripture over here. And we mash them together. Ends up being an idol. And we know our God is a jealous God. We do worship the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does take it seriously. Our idolatry, our idol worship is taken seriously. And we see that in this passage. Stephen, the martyr from Acts chapter 7, reflects upon this event. And he says, your people have taken the path back to Egypt. The people deviated from the path. They got off the teledraw train and went back to Egypt. And I think we have to work at uprooting the idols in our lives so we don't join them, deviating from the path, getting off, getting away from our walks with God. So I want to show you another picture of how God responds. I mean, coming down, destroying things. Um, how does he deal with this uh, seriously? So if we move to John chapter 2, we're going to fast forward about 1,400 years. I don't have any hand-drawn pictures of the Jewish temple. I didn't try to attempt that. Um, Jesus is here. John 1, he has come to dwell with us. Chapter 2, he is walking and he goes to Jerusalem. He enters into the temple courts. And then I think he confronts what he sees there in idolatry. So John 2, 13 through 17, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he makes a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me.
So Jesus shows up. He goes into the temple, a place that's supposed to be for worship, but there's buying and selling happening here. I know that was part of this system that was happening, but we know Psalm 51, God says, I don't want your sacrifice. What I want is a broken and contrite heart, a heart that is soft, moldable, bend a knee to the Lord. Not about, and he sees, oh, he walks in, there's a cow in here. He grabs a whip, he starts cracking it. He gets the sheep and the cattle, the doves, and they go flying. Get out of here. He takes the tables, whatever's on it, he flips it. This is not the picture of, what we, of Jesus we usually are used to. Jesus is kind, and I think in his kindness, he says, stop living with the idols in your life. There is a better way. Zeal for your house will consume me. This is a quote from Psalm 69. And oftentimes in in Scripture, in New Testament, something is, in, it was a, a, a Jewish rabbinical form of teaching. They would mention one part of a verse, and then to your understanding, you were to know the word, to know where it was from, and to know what else was there. And so if we go look at chapter, chapter 69, verse 9, that's the end, last verse of a phrase that begins with verse 6. Verse 6 says, Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. Then it ends in verse nine, may zeal, may passion, may fire for you consume me. So I think one time we're trying to uproot idols because it does deal with our walk with God, up verti- this vertical relationship with God. Two, it also impacts our horizontal relationship together as a community. And we see that some, I'm, some probably disagreed in making the calf idol. Some probably didn't want the buying and selling in the market, but it affects and impacts everybody. And our idols, if we don't uproot them and get rid of them, it will come to play here. It will be uprooted it will come to play here, but we need to uproot it. But third, the zeal for the house of, the, of God impacts how others view the Lord. Lord, may you not be disgraced or ashamed, be put to shame because of me. And so why do we work? Why do we want to say, yes, God, I, I, come in and flip the table in my life because this needs to be uprooted for your glory, for your kingdom, so that the world may see that you are our God, you're the maker of heaven and earth, that Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And our world desperately needs it. Our world is lost and they are looking for hope in all the wrong places. We have to be careful not to mash up and join them. Because our hope is a solid rock of Jesus Christ. 
there is an intense and violent reaction and response to idols and idolatry in the temple. There is an intense, and I'm using the word violent. I mean, Charlton Heston's coming down from the mountain. He's chucking the tablets, and they're boom, exploding. The calf blows up, if you remember that movie from a long time ago. Jesus is coming in, and he's tossing tables, driving people out with a whip. He's dealing with it, I would say, violently, passionately. He is consumed for the glory of the Father. Do we mirror that in our lives? What is competing successfully for your love for the Lord? What is competing for your attention? What is competing for your worship? Is it convenience? Is it comfort? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it whatever it might be? What is competing successfully for your worship? And do you want to get rid of it? Or do you want to hold on to it? Because in some way, it's been rooted deep deep and part of you for so long, it has become part of who you are and your identity. And you've allowed it to become so. So where the, where the, where the piece is, Moses was this mediator between the Father and the people. And now we know Jesus, the Son of God, is the mediator. He knows we have stuff. He knows we have idols. When we confess our need, Jesus, I need you in my life. I have idols. Some of them I know, and they're like, they're being burned right now, and and the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on it right now. Others of you might like, I'm not really sure, but I'm going to bend my knee and Do some heart work here. And Jesus comes in. He wants to flip the table. When we trust him to be our Lord and Savior, and we say, yes, Jesus, I have, I need you. I've sinned against you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. We read and we know, we trust that Jesus comes then, Holy Spirit comes in and indwells us. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. What an agreement, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. We are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Church, you know that now we are the temple. You are the temple. And when you walk out of here, 
You are a living temple to the world wherever you go. In your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your communities. You are the living temple. And Jesus wants to come into the temple and sometimes he might do it kindly, gently. Other times, Holy Spirit's like, I gotta flip this temple to get your, flip this table to get your attention. So one more picture for you of a table. And ask, what is on your table? What is on your table that's sitting there that you may or might intentionally be worshiping, but it is successfully challenging and competing for your time and your attention and your love of God? And Jesus wants to come in and say, come on. I don't, you don't need to do it alone. You got, we got the Lord with us. We got each other here. We got community. It's time to flip the table. It's time to uproot this idol. Something that's been holding us, preventing us from loving God with a zeal and a passion for his kingdom. So what is on your table? I'm gonna close with, if you did get the sermon notes, I encourage you to do so if you, if you didn't. This last page begins with a question, how do I recognize and uproot idols in my life? And may this verse at the end of Psalm 139, 23 and 24, may it be a prayer for you this week. That if we can imagine Jesus wants to come and turn over the tables in your life and we are giving permission. These verses say, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, if there's any offensive way in me, reveal it. Then lead me in your way, in your path. I don't want to go back to Egypt. I want to follow in your ways, in your path. And so here there are seven different, I would say, areas or questions where you can, you don't have to do any of them really, whatever, your choice. Invitation though could be to offer one of these each day this week. There are seven, seven days in a week where you can say, okay, God, examine. Examine my attention. Where's my attention go? Examine my thought life. Examine my relationships. God, examine where my wallet goes. 
examine things in my family or in my home or in my workplaces. Examine my emotions, examine my past, examine my future. If that seems too overwhelming, just pick one. Spend time with Jesus as he comes alongside. If you pray with me, Jesus, we know that this is, I think, a a challenging invitation to say, come in, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my soul. If there's anything offensive within me, please come uproot this. Turn over this table. I want to follow you with all that I have. I want to love you with all of my heart, all of my might, all of my soul, all of my strength. God, empower your people here. Empower them. Holy Spirit, come and fill this temple. Forgive us in ways that we are holding on to and have sinned against you. God, we know that you are good. We know that you give us grace. God, mercy is made new every day. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for the gift. We love you. We thank you. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.
exalted now in the heavens as your glory fills this place you alone deserve our praise you're the name above all names be exalted now in the heavens as your glory fills this place you alone deserve our praise you're the name above all names be exalted now in the heavens as your glory fills this place you alone deserve our praise you're the worshiping with us this morning. Next week, we have some baptisms. That's exciting. Come on back next week. If you uh, would like to receive some prayer, please come uh, forward, invited to see uh, Jim over here and part of our prayer team. Pray with you here or head back to our prayer room. If Holy Spirit has been doing some work and you want to talk about that with somebody, please also just come ahead, come forward, and... Uh, Let's not leave the place while God's working in it, okay? So may you go out this week, the love of God, through the grace of the Son, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.